worship, we sing songs, and uh, and we also get the opportunity to pray, to come together uh, with one another, and kind of step into each other's lives as we do that. And, uh, you know, some of you might have noticed that I carry this, and when I come up, I write down the prayer request in it, and I don't, we told you, we've encouraged you, hey, you should get one of these, this is really handy, and you probably thought, man, I wish I had a really cool little uh, book like Nick does so that we can do that. Well, guess what? You can have something even cooler. Here it is, the Common Ground Prayer Journal. Yeah, aren't those cool? Ooh, all right. And we have a bunch right here, and Evan is going to start passing them out. And if you have a pen or a pencil, uh, you can start recording prayer requests. And uh, you can even take notes while Evan's preaching and things like that. And if you don't have a pen or pencil, I believe there's a basket up here uh, with some in there. And you can just go ahead and feel free to grab one of them. But we would uh, we would encourage you to take one and, um, and employ it uh, right down. Uh, these prayer requests are being shared and not just pray with us on Sunday, but pray with us throughout the week. Pray for us throughout the week. I can testify to that. Um, so this week was my first week of school at Rapid City Christian. And I've got a lot of School of Mines people here. They had their first week at the School of Mines. And I asked for prayer last week because I knew I was going into a really stressful situation. And it got more stressful Sunday, or Monday evening when I got a text saying that I would not have a classroom Tuesday morning. And uh, Micah, he was right along with me in that because we were going to share the annex, you know, this old building that is like from the 60s and 70s or something. And uh, we just weren't able to use it. And then we found out during the course of that day that it would probably be at least three weeks before we can have those two classrooms up and running. And that's not a good situation, not a good way to start your uh, your school week, not having enough classrooms. And so Micah and I were nomadic, and our students were nomadic with us, and it was really stressful on the students. But you know what? It worked out. It worked out. And part of what kept me from just kind of freaking out was knowing that I had people praying for me. You know, so that's a good thing. So that's what we're going to do today. Uh, we're just going to share some prayer requests. Uh, I don't know who's running the mic. Oh, Evan, you have the mic. Awesome. Okay, look at that. He's delegated the passing out duties and everything. Um, so Evan has a microphone, and if you have something that you would like to share with us, it doesn't have to be a prayer request. It could be a word of prayer or, or praise or thanksgiving. Uh, it could be maybe something that you've just felt God has laid on your heart that you want to encourage your brothers and sisters with, um, you can certainly do that. But if you have something that you'd like to share, would you just raise your hand high so Evan can get to you? Please say your name and uh, how we can how we can join in with you. Uh, hi, I'm Izzy, and hey, Izzy. I just want praises. I just finished my first week of high school. So, yeah, and then I also would like prayers for my grandpa who um, has always had trouble sleeping for like a long time and he's been falling a lot more lately and has fallen three times on his arm every time they thought he'd broken or fractured it and it's just been a sprain but uh the, yesterday morning he ended up breaking it so okay all right so uh Izzy's thankful to make it through her first week of high school, which is hard to believe uh, that that's happened already. But let's pray for Izzy's grandfather and uh, uh, pray for health and healing and uh, for maybe the doctors to help him so this doesn't happen again. All right. Anybody else? 
Tatiana here again. <clears throat> Big family, lots of needs, I guess. Um, so I want to confess that I was kind of judgmental for my brother who decided to move from from Rapid City, South Dakota, to Oklahoma, Tulsa area, uh, because um, there is his friends from church, from Ukrainian church, that he was there. So he's moving, and it's uh, hard on me because through all this trouble that we rescue his family and bring it here, I was hoping that they stay a little bit longer before they'll spread all over the United States. So uh, please pray he will travel with his three kids and wife um, on um, September 9th is just a blessing to his trip and to get easy on us, so not too emotional be about that. Thank you. Okay, all right. We're always judgmental about people who moved to Oklahoma, you know, or people from Oregon that moved, you know. <laughs> but no, it's always tough to have family move away. So we will pray with Tetiana as uh, as their family is going to be separated now uh, in, in this. And I would just add to that, just continue to pray for the situation in Ukraine. Uh, it's, it's not getting better. So just please pray for God to intervene in ways that, uh, that, that are beyond what we can imagine. Okay, anybody else? Uh, so I didn't really want to say it last week because I didn't want to embarrass um, Emily, but um, I got engaged over the summer, so that was a big moment for me. Um, but she's still in, she went back to um, Fort Collins for finishing her year up over there. She graduates in December, so just prayers with, you know, communication and stuff like that and being separated after the summer and, you know, planning a whole wedding while being five hours away from each other. So, <laughs> okay. All right. Well, congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah. I'll be praying for Kyle and Emily as, uh, as they work through this now and, uh, but work through the getting prepared for everything while living life and being separated for, from one another as they do that. All right. Anything else? Okay. Logan. Uh, yes. I'm Logan. Um, just some prayers for, I've been thinking for a while, years, probably on this, and have always kind of said no to it. Um, but as I've gotten older and then just being involved with Camp Moore and stuff like that, um, I'm really debating and wrestling with the idea of going to school and getting my teaching degree. Um, I'm not sure if that's something that is where I'm being called to do or, you know, what. So just prayers for guidance and you know, that doors will be open if they need to be opened or closed if they need to be. Okay. All right. Awesome. That's pretty cool. So we'll pray with Logan. And uh, as he just seeks God's will to be clearly established, whether or not to pursue a teaching degree and, uh, and, and to go after that. Man, God calls us to some scary things sometimes, but um, it's good to go into it with wisdom, good to go into it with the body of Christ with you to uh, make sure that we're stepping where God wants us to step. Okay. Antonia. I would like to offer praise for my dad. 
He had surgery on his back in July. They kind of got him in um, several months sooner than they were planning. Um, the surgery went really well. He's almost done with healing, um, almost done with PT. Um, he can sleep through the night now. There's no shooting pains up and down his leg. Um, and this was going on for about a year after his car crash. Um, his other health stuff is also stabilizing, um, getting the getting the insulin under control, getting all of his other organs, you know, regular checkups and nothing that'll immediately kill him. So praise God for that. Um, and then just prayers for um, prayers for his spirit. Um, he's um, basically all but turned away from God and who could blame him with all of that happening. Um, so yeah, just prayers for um, the sermon for Will and I for how to reach out to him in that. Okay. All right. Thank you, Antonia. And welcome back, Antonia and Will. Good to see you guys. Um, so, yeah, Ant- if you haven't known, Antonia's dad has suffered a lot of health issues lately, uh, enough that it's really been discouraging and disheartening to him in his faith. Um, so really pray for him in, in that aspect of his life and for Antony and family as they care for him. But also just what good news to know that he's getting some relief and getting some rest now thanks to that surgery he's just had. All right. Anything else? Okay. Over here to Justin. Sorry, I saw Justin's hand first. It's like an auction. <laughs> <laughs> Sold. Hey, my name is Justin Gwynn. Uh, I work with college students at the School of Mines here uh, with a group called Campus Ventures. And I just wanted to praise God for this last week. We've had kickoff week. We've been really, really uh, busy and running like crazy. But I just really feel like I've seen the Holy Spirit moving in the lives of students. Um, students are hearing, like new students are hearing the gospel, some for the first time. And we're seeing students who are really interested in growing in their faith, who have come in with a Christian background. Um, so just really looking forward to that. I want to praise Jesus for that and continue to pray for these students who are in the midst of a ton of change and turmoil. And they all need Jesus, but a lot of them are very keenly aware of their, their need right now. And they haven't identified Jesus as that yet. So. Awesome. Pray for that. Awesome. That's pretty cool. So, yeah, uh, and we've got some uh, guests from the School of Minds who've joined us today. Welcome, you guys. And, uh, yeah, remember to pray for uh, Campus Ventures, uh, InterVarsity, all the campus ministries that are happening on the School of Minds. Pray for our School of Minds students and uh, just ask that God would continue to just draw uh, these students' hearts uh, to his presence. Okay. Where did the mic go? Yeah, I wanted to pray for the people in this congregation who have health problems. As there's quite a few and they're not speaking up and asking for prayer. Um, Pray that God can heal them. And be there for them as they find their way through their health problems and mental problems. And also, I'd like to pray for people who have weeds in their gardens. Big, big problem. Because God is really good, but God is also have, has weeds that we have to deal with. So, in a lot of ways. So, yeah. um, thank you, Jesus, for just being there for us. Thank you, Kathleen. Yeah, I think Jesus even gave a parable about weeds and thorns and things like that growing up in our lives. So, I'm Andrea. Um, I guess a prayers and a prayer.
praise. Um, I guess just the past few years, I've struggled with my mental health, and I've had depression, and I finally just got help back in May. Just enough was enough, so I've gotten help, and I've made different life choices, like just exercising more and taking control of my health and my mental health. Um, I guess just prayers that I just, it's still a struggle. Just even with medication, you know, I'm just trying to keep up with everything, but praise that I'm gotten into a routine of staying regularly exercising and stuff. And I'm glad to say that I'm down almost 20 pounds. So also a praise that I'm taking, like God's helped me like get through all that. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you for sharing that. And it's good for us to be reminded of the reality of that. And uh, you know what? I can tell, Andrea. I can see it in your countenance. Uh, and so let's pray, continue to pray uh, that uh, God would take Andrea through this healing process because it, it might take time. And uh, so pray for patience, pray for endurance and steadfastness. All right. Anything else before we pray? All right, this one. I, oh, okay, Isaac. Um, my name's Isaac. Uh, yeah, I guess I'm one of those people that doesn't often speak up about their health concerns. I've been kind of working through severe ulcerative colitis for the last year, and then the past month I've had to switch medications, and I haven't got the new one yet, so... That means everything's kind of coming roaring back as far as symptoms and issues until the new one gets approved by insurance. Uh, feeling slightly better than last week, I guess, but hoping and praying that God moves and heals up my gut soon and that the new medication gets approved soon. Okay. All right. Thank you, Isaac. Uh, And also just prayers for Natalie's health as well. I know that she's been struggling with a lot of different complicated health concerns. Uh, uh, Just prayers that she would be able to continue to get to all the doctor's appointments and prayers that she would find healing in Jesus. Okay. Thank you, Isaac. Okay. So uh, this is what I'm going to ask us to do for our prayer time today. Um, I'm going to, we're going to ask our elders. (laughs) and Evan, uh, to go to those with the health issues. So uh, I've got Justin, Tim, and Evan here. Okay. Um, So, uh, Evan, would you pray with Isaac and and Natalie? And Justin, could I ask you to come up and to pray for Antonia's dad? And Tim, could I ask you to go over to Andrea and pray for her? Okay. And then the rest of us, Oh, we got this cool little book with everything we just wrote down in. Would you just maybe group up with one or two other people close by you and just spend some time uh, praying uh, with these? You can pray silently or you can pray out loud. Uh, I will open us up in prayer, and then I will close us after a little bit of time. So um, we want to give time for Evan to preach. Don't want to rush prayer, uh, but uh, I will pray at some point to close us off. So let's pray. Father, here we are. all, all of us broken people, none of us in a better spot than anybody else. We all have things that we're dealing with. Thank you, Lord, for 
Jesus Christ, our Savior, thank you for your church. Thank you for one another that you've given to us. Um, and uh, Lord, just hear our prayers today as we draw near to your throne. And may your spirit help us, help us in our prayers. And thank you that Jesus is interceding for us even as we do pray. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, go ahead and pray. Of your majesty, we're joining in the symphony, just as birds with a fragrance. So let my life be insensible. Oh, just to know you.
Holy Father, we thank you, Lord, that um, access to your throne has been granted to us through Jesus Christ at any time of the day. We could wake up in the middle of the night uh, and wonder, why am I not sleeping? And what a time that we could just spend with you and pray with you. Uh, Lord, even while we're working, even while we have our hands doing something, um, we can turn our heart and our thoughts towards you. So Lord, I pray that you would continue to do that with each and every one of us throughout this week, um, that we would remember these things we have written down and that we would look at this list uh, every day and just spend some time praying for our brothers and sisters, just loving them that way. So God, I thank you for these prayers that have been lifted up. I know that you have heard them. We pray, God, that you will work mightily in all of them. And now we pray for our pastor, because I think I might have fuddled with his notes while I was standing up here. And just pray that you're with him, Lord, as he presents the message that you have laid on his heart uh, to instill into our hearts. And may your spirit work mightily through him and upon us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nick. And thank you, everyone, for, for leaning into prayer there um, the way that you do. Just really want to be able to give you um, those those journals as a gift and just as a way to continually just encourage you guys um, to pray for one another and to be able to make that possible because we just we've seen God do amazing things in here and we have seen what happens when our prayer lives grow and so we just want to continue to try to foster that and try to to gift each and every one of you in here to do that so thank you thank you for being willing to pray for one another I know that that's not always the easiest thing to do and so I just want to encourage um, your boldness in that as you pray for one another here. Um, but now uh, we're going to transition into our teaching time. And just last week, we started a new series here that we're calling God's Purpose, Our Purpose, where we're talking about what exactly Jesus came to do. Um, what did Jesus come to do? And we know that fundamentally Jesus came for the cross. He came to die for our sins, to pay our sin debt. Uh, but along the way, Jesus actually does a lot on his way to the cross. Um, he didn't just jump right onto the cross after Christmas. Uh, for years, he went around giving sight to the blind, uh, preaching the message of the kingdom, um, speaking encouragement to those who were down, um, feeding the poor, um, and really demonstrating the heart of God as he made his way to the cross. And one of the things that we obviously know is that Jesus was explicit in doing or in saying what he came to do. And we talked about it last week of the different times in which Jesus said, you know, I came to do this, um, where we know that Jesus said that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And he said, I have come to testify of the truth. 
And Jesus said one time that I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Um, and the temptation can be that we would find, you know, that statement of Jesus that we like best. And Christians can often just attach themselves to that one. You know, well, Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. So that's all we're about. And we forget Jesus also said, you know, I came to glorify my Father in heaven. So what we want to do is we want to look at every single time Jesus made one of these statements, Jesus' mission statements, where he said, I have come to or I will. And we want to get a comprehensive grasp of everything Jesus said he came to do. We want to fully understand what Jesus came to do. Because I think having an understanding of what Jesus said he came to do, um, one, will just help us to take a step back and just to be thankful for everything that he's done, where we can recognize the work he's done in our lives and in the world. But I think knowing what Jesus was focused on, knowing what Jesus' message is, his mission is, will help us in our lives as well. Um, Because we want to be a people who do the things that Jesus cared about. We want to talk about the things Jesus talked about, and we want to pursue the mission that Jesus said his mission was. And so that's why we want to be able to look through these. Because in 1 John chapter 2, it said, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So that's our hope. That's our hope, is we would center ourselves on what Jesus said he was about, what Jesus said he was coming to do, and then we want to make our lives all about that as well. And I know it's a question that many of us ask, especially like if you are in your early 20s or if you're in a transition season in your life, one of the questions we often ask is like, what is my purpose? What is my mission in life? What am I to do? Um, and especially young people, we can really get stressed out about this question. Like, what is my purpose? What is my calling? Right? We say that all the time. What is my calling? And sometimes I've seen it happen too often where like we just base our calling off like one little thing. And so say, you know, your dream, your calling was I'm going to be, you know, the best, like, I don't know, concert pianist in the world. Um, like, that's my calling. That's what I'm going to do. And then one morning, you know, you're like fumbling around with a blender to try to make baby food. And now you, all you've got left is a nub. And it's like, my life is over. Like, I'm not going to be able to live out my calling. I've put all my pressure on that. And we can just get totally focused on what we want to focus on. And I think we have to understand that Jesus is calling, Jesus' purpose for our lives are much bigger than just that. Um, even if that were to happen, obviously, like, I have many callings on my life. Um, I have the calling to be a pastor, to build the church, to equip the church, to shepherd the flock. Uh, but I also have the calling to be a father, uh, to my daughter, to be a husband, to my wife, to be a friend, to be a son, um, to be just a Christian, a disciple. Um, we have all of these different callings, and it's important for us as we are considering what our lives are all about, that we center them around the same things Jesus said his life was about. And so I just want to throw this question out here. Shout out responses as we just get our minds prepped um, to go to the text here. Shout out responses of what did Jesus do that we should do too? What did you see Jesus doing in his life that you want to do too? What do you guys think? Love our neighbor. That's a good one. Humble themselves. Want to be humble like Jesus. Jesus humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. Serve. Yeah. He said, I didn't come to be served. Came to serve. Reflect the Father. I want to be a picture of God to the world. Take time to pray. Audrey's ready to get out of here, climb a mountain, and just be with God. (laughs) Or crutch up a mountain, I guess. Sorry. (laughs) Okay, but yeah. So there are these things. 
And I think it's important to consider, like, what are the things that Jesus did? Because if we want to be like little Christs, if we want to be people whose lives look just like Jesus, then we want to consider these things. What did Jesus do that we should be doing too? Um, And this week we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4, looking at one of these statements. Last week we were in Luke 4. Um, Today we'll be in Matthew chapter 4, um, so if you could find your way there. This is pretty close chronologically to where we were last week in Luke chapter 4, where we know that Jesus had just come out of the wilderness. Um, and last week we talked about how he came out of the wilderness, immediately went to his hometown there in Nazareth, and that's where we had the interaction of him reading from the scroll of Isaiah and reading this out in the synagogue, saying, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. And so this seems to take place just shortly after that, where right after he had essentially preached in the synagogue there in Nazareth, what happens, we're told in the beginning of Matthew chapter 4, is that John the Baptist had just been arrested. He'd just been thrown in prison. And so it says in the beginning of this chapter that when he had heard John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. So this is the countryside just north of where he was previously. And leaving Nazareth, he went and he lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And so now we have Jesus. He's starting his ministry in Galilee up here. And then in verse 18... I want you to look at this, and we're going to look at this section here as we just consider what Jesus said he came to do. In verse 18, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them. And immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. And so here we have Jesus calling these disciples and saying, Come, follow me. He said, I will make you fishers of men. And he's doing this in this region of Galilee, um, right here in this area where James and John live, most likely in a town called Bethsaida, which was kind of this small fishing village, about five to six hundred people at the time. And a town like Bethsaida and a lot of the different towns on the shore of Galilee here, they were essentially built around fishing. Um, every single day, hundreds of fishermen would descend on the Sea of Galilee, you know, many of them casting off on boats, going out into the water, or many of them just on shore, um, lining the shore, throwing the nets into the water there. And so here you have just a huge demand for fish and a huge demand for fishermen. Um, and so Jesus is coming, and he's calling these fishermen to follow him. And I think one of the important contextual things for us to understand is that fishermen, you know, they were not the richest guys in the world, um, but they definitely weren't the poorest guys in the world. Like, these areas were built on fishing. And so it was a competitive industry. Um, It was, frankly, like a pretty good job in this area at the time. Um, Like I said, many of these places were just built around fishing. Like, the name Bethsaida literally means house of the fishermen. And so if you live in Bethsaida, It's kind of expected. Yeah, you're going to be a fisherman. That's totally normal. That's what everybody does. Um, Or there's a nearby town called Magdala. You've probably heard of Mary Magdalene, right? The woman who was oppressed by seven demons that Jesus freed her from. Well, Magdala means tower of fish, or they basically had a big like fish processing plant there. You know, and so she was from this fishing region as well. 
And, you know, I don't know how she got seven demons, but, you know, we could guess it could have been because she went fishing instead of going to church, right? We don't know that for sure, but, you know, we better be careful uh, in that. But fishing is just part of what was going on in this area. And Jesus walks up amongst the hundreds of fishermen that are going to be all around the area, and he walks up to four guys, and he calls them to follow him. He says, follow me. He sees Simon, Andrew, James, and John. And he says, come and follow me. Come and follow me. And this is the first thing I want you guys to see in this text. It's just Jesus' approach to the disciples to say, come and follow me. Come and follow me. Because you see, what typically would have happened in this region, in Bethsaida or on the shores of Galilee, is school would have started at about six or seven years old. And that school was called Bet Sefer, or you could spell it Beth Sefer, just like I made sure to spell the Beth or the Bet twice here because we're using English letters, so it's not even Hebrew letters, so spelling isn't really real. There, we've messed it up already. But you would start essentially preschool age all the way to sixth grade doing what is called Bet Sefer, which is primary school. And in primary school, you're learning the Torah. And so the track would be that you're learning the first five books of the Bible, and they would spend all of their time listening to and learning the Torah, listening to and learning these first five books with the goal of memorizing as much as they could, as much of it as they could. And so you could imagine yourself as an eight-year-old, your task in school this year would like be to memorize the book of Leviticus. That's your goal, right? But because of that focus, that seems really intense, but because of that focus, many students would come out of this at around 12 years old, having memorized large chunks, entire books of the Bible there. And what would happen then, essentially at that like 12 years old age, is some students, maybe the more average, ordinary students, actually wouldn't move on. If you kind of struggled to memorize a lot of the Torah at that time, then essentially they would say, well, you can go on and you can spend time with your dad and you can learn a trade and you can learn something else. And it was actually a small group of students that would move to that next level of Beth Midrash. And in this next level of Beth Midrash, for the students who were able to move to that level, then they would move on from the Torah and they would actually start learning the Psalms and the prophets as well. And the same kind of goal, they're just listening to the Psalms, listening to the prophets, they're learning all of this. And by the end of 16, they would possibly have memorized all of the first five books and the Psalms and the prophets there. And again, it's at that point of essentially 16 that this small group of the most advanced students who had done the best there in this work would move on. But kind of around that time, you're looking at the students, you're looking at how well they're doing, and some of them are just going to go on, they're going to learn a trade, they're going to become a fisherman, a farmer, whatever it might be. But some of them, kind of the most elite, would move on. And it's at that point, around the age of about 16, in which you could become a Talmud. Or the plural form is Talmudim, which is a follower of a rabbi. It's a disciple. It's a disciple. And so the smart, smartest students at about 16, if they wanted to continue their study under a rabbi, then they would essentially go out and they would look for a rabbi. They would go find maybe a famous rabbi that they've heard of, that they really respect, and they would go up and they would ask, can I be your student? Can I follow you? And in response to that, the rabbi would often have some questions for you. Uh, he might have like a quick Bible quiz, or he might have some things that, some interview processes that he wants to run you through to see if you really have what it takes to be cut out, to be one of his disciples. 
And he might even have kind of a short period of testing there. Well, he'll be like, well, I'll let you follow me for a little bit. We'll have a little, you know, trial period. We'll see if you've got what it takes. And then you could follow me. And it was at about 20. There was kind of a big decision-making period there as well. We're at about 20. The rabbi had kind of made up his mind about who has it and who doesn't. And there was this phrase that he would say to the students um, who maybe aren't going to continue on and to follow him at about the age 20, where the rabbi would say, it is now time for you to go and to pursue your father's trade. That's a very nice way of saying, you're fired. Um, You can go become a farmer, a fisherman. You can go have a family. You can go make babies. Like, you're going to be great. You're going to be fine. But continuing on and becoming a rabbi isn't for you. And that would happen at about the age of 20 there. But for the most advanced, the most elite students, some of them then, they would continue on following. And they had then a 10-year process of following this rabbi and of learning from him before one day maybe a small, small select few at the age of 30 possible they could themselves become a rabbi and they could themselves gather followers around themselves but the goal then for those whole 10 years was i am going to learn absolutely everything from this rabbi and not just the content not just the information but i'm going to act exactly like this rabbi as well and a blessing that was often given to the disciples of a rabbi at the time or essentially the nicest thing that you could possibly say to a disciple was may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi, right? May you be so close to the rabbi. That's the best thing that they could think of, that they spent so much time with the rabbi that it's like they're just in his dust at all times. And so as they follow this rabbi, they want to do everything that the rabbi did. If while he's teaching, you know, he puts his hands on his hips or does some different things, then they're going to do that. If when he walks into a home, he blesses the family in a certain way, then they're going to do that. If when he prays, he says certain things, then they're like, I want to pray exactly like that. And they would try to mimic and copy everything that the rabbi did because they wanted to become exactly like their rabbi. wanted to become exactly like him. And eventually, as I said, if that went well and they followed closely, then at about the age of 30, then they could leave And they could become one themselves, and they could take disciples for themselves. So that's supposed to be the process here. That's kind of the average process of getting to that place. But notice what Jesus did instead, right? Jesus didn't have any interview questions for them. He didn't have this process to test what they know. Jesus went up, and Jesus called them. And so the normal protocol of a disciple being the one to ask a rabbi, of the disciple trying to prove himself worthy here, Jesus didn't follow. He did this very, very differently from the cultural norm of that day. And the thing I think we need to focus on in here is just the fact that Jesus chooses people. Jesus chooses people. And Jesus went and he called these disciples. He chose them to be his followers. And I don't know about you, um, but this is good news. For an ordinary person like myself, um, who maybe might not be able to fit all of those qualifications. Um, The good news that Jesus chooses, ordinary people here, ordinary, average people. Because I think he makes a strong statement when he does this, that he's not just looking for the best and the brightest. Because whenever the best and the brightest succeed, or they do a really good job, I mean, what's our response? We're like, well, yeah, of course, like, That lady's amazing. She's so smart. Of course, she can do all those things. That guy, he's always had it. But when just average, normal people do things that are amazing, then we very quickly 
attribute it to God, rightly so, to be like, oh, well, it was amazing. It was God. Because this guy is kind of a, you know, you know. And, and so that amazing thing happened, and it must be God. And I think this is one of the reasons that just on the topic, not even salvation, but just in serving, I mean, Jesus is always using the foolish to confound the wise. He's always using just average, ordinary people because it's about displaying his power anyway. It's about him getting the credit anyway. But we can also see, I mean, it's good news just if we consider the work of salvation as well. Because I don't know how it worked for you. Maybe you were born into a family where you can't even remember um, not knowing Jesus. Um, Or maybe just very recently in your adult life, Jesus has drawn you in. However it happened, one of the things that we firmly believe is that Jesus chose us. That he chose us. And he wanted to remind the disciples of this in the Gospel of John the night before he died when he said that you didn't choose me, I chose you. And later on, the Apostle John would write that we love him because he first loved us. Right? That he chooses people. He calls us. He calls us. And just on the topic of, of serving him especially, one of the reasons that like a rabbi would actually accept a student's request to let him follow is the rabbi is wondering, can this student make it? Like, Can he hack it? Is this person going to be able to follow through? Are they going to drop out? Are they actually smart enough? Will they fail? And Jesus chooses people that he knows will succeed, essentially. He doesn't think each and every one of you. When he calls you to serve him, he doesn't think that you'll fail. And do you know why he thinks that you'll succeed? It's because you guys are so cute and so smart. Actually, it has nothing to do with our ability. Because what Jesus says is that, hey, it didn't have anything to do with these disciples' ability. He actually doesn't even care about that. He says, I'm going to give you guys his potential. Where Jesus says, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. He didn't see their ability and say, like, oh, you, yeah, you'd be a really good evangelist. Uh, you'd do this really well. That doesn't even matter with him. He's saying, you might not be a fisher of men yet. I'm going to make you one. Your ability doesn't have anything to do with me calling you. Because, again, he's saying, I'm the one who's going to supply this anyway. And this is the work in Jesus, the work of Jesus in us, is to equip us to serve him. To equip us to be his servants. To equip us so that he can send us out. Because Jesus, his, his goal is to change them from guys who can catch fish to guys who can catch people here. Jesus wants to change our identity as well in order to serve him. Maybe we don't feel like we have it just yet. That's kind of the whole point, right? That Jesus chooses us. Regardless of what we think we're good at or what we're able to do in this moment, what Jesus is saying is, you've been chosen by me. This is your purpose, to be fishers of men, and I'm going to make that happen in you. I'm going to make that happen in you. And this is kind of the point of discipleship and of following Jesus anyway. Um, It's not about our potential. Um, It's not about being ready to serve God with certain skills or abilities here. Because Jesus' primary motivation here, especially with these first disciples, was not on their ability, not on their maturity, not on what they were able to do. He was thinking about someone that they aren't aren't even that person yet, about abilities that they don't even have yet, about things that he's going to give them. 
And so I think each and every one of us has to recognize that Jesus isn't waiting to find you at a certain point before you go and you serve him. He's not waiting for you to kind of get it all together or to learn some certain skill before he can use you. And in light of this, I think the hesitation that we often have to to serve Jesus and to follow him in certain ways doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, To hesitate to say, like, oh, no, I'm not good enough, or my history has said this, and so I can't serve him in that way. I think that forgets the reality of Jesus saying, I will make you fishers of men. I will make you become this. I will make you into one. Make you into a fisher of men. I think many of us are tempted to think like, well, you know, I'm not a fisherman. I'm, I'm a net mender, so I'll just sit here fixing the net. And Jesus has got fishermen who he'll send out there. And that doesn't really seem to be an option here. Uh, Jesus is like, yeah, that's the whole point. Maybe you're, you're just a net mender. Guess what? Now you're a fisherman. Now you're going out. I think we have to kind of pray that same prayer. Well, God, would you make me one of these? But here's the thing. When Jesus calls us, he chooses us to serve him, and he says, I'll make you a fisher of men. Um, It's actually kind of a long process. When we think about the disciples, it was about a three-year process, right? Um, James and John, shortly after Jesus calls them, makes this promise to them. Um, They're going through Samaria with Jesus, and they're essentially on a mission trip. And as they're on this mission trip, it's like... You know, anytime we send people on on a trip, I always say, like, from the very basics of what I want you guys to do, would you just be, like, kind, and would you just have a good attitude? Like, very base of what a missionary does. Just be kind, have a good attitude. Uh, So James and John, they're on this trip, and there are some guys who don't necessarily agree with them. They don't follow Jesus. And so James and John say, hey, Jesus, uh, can we call down fire from heaven to burn these people, uh, to incinerate them? Right? They're like, Jesus, we know you choose people. You chose these to burn for your glory, right? Yep, we know that. All right, let's get them. And it, it's a process, right? Like, these are the guys that Jesus calls, yet he was patient with them. He was patient with them. And I think we have to remember that as, as we continue to follow Christ is, like, don't snap your fishing rod after, like, two fish. Take the bait away. Um, Ray catches fish on every cast, right? But we might not every single time. And so I think we have to have that patience and to know that Jesus is the one who's patient with us as well. Because as you go through the Gospels, I mean, you see the stuff that the disciples pull. Um, and Jesus never fired a single one of them. He never did. There's a case in which Philip, um, Jesus has just said, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John chapter 14. And then Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even, I have, even after I've been with you for such a long time. He says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So Jesus is kind of saying to Philip, like, what I said about there not being any dumb questions, I'm kind of taken back at the moment. But I've shown you the Father. After three years, you should know this. But Jesus was quick to correct. He was quick to get his disciples on the right track. But he never got rid of, he never fired any of them. Judas quit on his own, but the rest he just had patience and opportunity for and restoration for over and over again. Because the whole point is that he is making them into this. He's making them into this. And so ultimately for us, discipleship and and being formed into the people that he's called us to be is just sticking close enough with him that we would be changed into the one that he wants us to become. Right? 
trusting that he will give us all that we need to do this. Give us that he would be the one to give us all that we need. And the next thing I think we have to notice just in this short little story is that when Jesus calls them, when Jesus says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, um, immediately, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, they all kind of respond the same way. It says, immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Like, they leave everything. They even left their dad on the boat. And I'm sure he was happy about that. But essentially, we have to ask ourselves the question here of, like, are we willing to kind of leave anything? They were so quick to respond here. And I think we have to recognize, even just from the story, that Jesus will never call us when it's very convenient. Um, He'll call you when you're at work. He'll call you when you're busy. He'll call you when you're with family. Um, He'll call you right now in church. In the prime of your life, during spring break, uh, when you just retire, right? Like when you don't have enough money and you're thinking, like, I just need to work and then I'll serve him. Or when you finally do have enough and you're ready to just kind of sit back and relax finally, like Jesus will call you when it's not convenient. It's about every single time. Um, and as we talked about, like fishing was not the worst job in the world for these guys. So it wasn't like Jesus thought, who hates their job the most? I'll go find these guys. And then they're like, oh, a way out. I'm free. Like, no, um, this was a normal thing. If you live in Bethsaida, house of the fishermen, being a fisherman is kind of what you do. Um, and so we're told especially that like James and John, they leave boats and your business has to go pretty well in order for you to have boats. I mean, it's 2023 and many of us still can't afford to own a boat, right? And so things seem to be going well for them. Um, it's fascinating because we see Simon and Andrew fishing from the shore, right? So it mentions that they are standing on the shore. They're throwing their nets. So they're kind of like the startup company. They're just kind of getting rolling. But with James and John, like things seem to be going well. Um, they've got like a good thing going. They seem to have a bit of a company here that they're inheriting from their dad even. Like this seems to be kind of a good family business. And I don't know if you've noticed this before, but especially in the Gospel of John, you actually get little hints to the fact that John must have been kind of a successful person, that they might have had a really good thing going with this fishing business. Um, Because it's in John chapter 18, where the focus is obviously that Jesus is arrested. Jesus gets arrested, but we get these little hints about kind of who John is and these funny little details in the story. Like in in John 18 here, uh, Simon Peter and another disciple, which that other disciple is John, they were following Jesus after he'd been arrested. And it says that because this disciple, or John, was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. And the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back and spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. So we're not quite clear how John had this kind of pull. Like, how was John able to just walk in? How was he known to the high priest? Um, How was he able to go just, like, talk to the servant girl and get Peter brought in? Um, But most likely it wasn't his connections to Jesus. Jesus is kind of a criminal at this point, obviously. And so most scholars are kind of speculating and considering that it was probably because his family was fairly successful in fishing. Or he might have come from a family that carried a bit of social status. And we just saw how he started following Jesus. And so it seems like he had a pretty good thing going. It wasn't that he was super quick to just leave it. But yet still... He responded immediately, left his boat, left his father, and followed Jesus. And then we see, just like Simon and Andrew, um, 
They were just standing on the shore, throwing their nets. They were just getting started. And if you've ever just started anything, that's like the least convenient time, I think, to respond to the call of God, where it's like, you know, let me just get this business off the ground. Let me just figure out how to be a parent right now. Like, let me just figure out how to be a college student. I'm a freshman. This isn't the right time. Like, they're trying to get off the ground, and yet Jesus still comes, and he calls them. And so you have people at very different ends of the spectrum here. There's two who everything was going well, and it's like, well, why would I leave this now? And then there were two who were like, no, 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 like not the time. Give me six months once I've got my feet under myself, and then call me. And both sets here, Jesus just calls right here and there when it's convenient. And these first followers, they walked away from it all in order to follow him. I think that kind of poses the question on us. If God has put a, a nagging sense on us to serve him in some way, it's never going to be the most convenient time. But are we willing to walk away and to leave anything in order to follow him? Because what they left is significant. Um, like walking away from their father, from their family in this sense, they were essentially moving here. Um, and in our culture, we're, we're pretty used to kind of moving away from family and going far away. I know, Tatiana, you're like, no, that's the worst thing in the world. And I get it. It is hard. It's difficult. I'm obligated to say it's hard to move from family because my parents will be watching this and we have their granddaughter on the other side of the country. Uh, But, I mean, the reality is, like, we have Zoom, we have FaceTime, we have airplanes. Like, we can make it work. We can be far away from family. We can make it work. Um, But we much more readily relate, I think, to this idea of leaving a career, right? That's a different... That's a different call. And many of us, I think, if we would imagine, like, God calling us to leave a career, God calling us to leave school, God calling us to leave one of those kind of situations, like, that is a high cost. That is a high cost that hits us in our culture, for sure. But following Jesus means that he becomes the center. Where he said, hey, this is what I came to do to make you fishers of men. Is this what you're about to? Is the question he puts on us. And this means that our habits... Our routines, the way that we deal with money, the way that we deal with our time, the way that we deal with our relationships, all need to be shifted in order to center around this purpose, this mission, right? And the call for many of us is probably not going to be to quit our jobs and to go be traveling evangelists. I'm not ruling it out for some of you, um, but many disciples didn't do that. However, I think all of us would need to adjust our lives in some point in order to be more centered around this call of Christ here, right? Like, like, why are we at work? Why do we work at the job that we work at? And what are we doing while we're there? Are we just trying to get to the next day? Are we just trying to get through? Or are we there to be made into fishers of men? Are we there to fish for people? Or you just finished a long day at work, like eight hours is a long time, you're tired, I mean, what do you do now with your free time, with your life? Just infinite scroll until the next day? Like, are we focused on being fishers of men? Is our purpose as a follower of Christ what Jesus' purpose here is for us? Where he says, I will make you a fisher of men. Because this is who we are called to be. This is his mission to us. This is his mission to us. And I think, you know, you've probably heard sermons on this topic in this passage. You've probably done a Bible study on this passage before. And so we know what this means. It's not very much gets lost in translation because of Jesus' creative use of language here to say you're going to fish for people. 
right? Like, we kind of know what this means. Are you bringing people to Jesus? Are you doing this? But again, we have to remember that discipleship and the, the information part is easy. The information of just knowing what Jesus said, easy. We can expound and teach this and figure out the historical grammatical meaning. Great. Easy work. Done. Here's what it means. It means that the kingdom of heaven is like a net that when it was let down into the lake, it caught all kinds of fish. That part's easy. But I think then the difficult part for us is to consider, are we doing this? Are we doing this? We know what it means. Are we living it out? Are we living it out? And I know the situations that, that many of you are in. I think they kind of reflect this passage a lot. For some of us, it's like, ah, we just got to this point. Things are going well. Let's just not lose momentum. Keep doing this. Or some of us are like, man, we just need to get started, get our feet under ourselves before we serve God in a new way. And I know those situations, but let this just be a reminder here of the call of Christ, what our purpose is. That our purpose is to make followers of Jesus, to, to let down the net, to be fishers of people above all else. But everything else must be reordered around that purpose. has to be. And if you've been following Jesus for any number of years, then you probably have had times in which you're really passionate about this. You're really stoked on doing this. But then th- like, things come up, and we'll get sidetracked. Um, the seasons of life come, and they go, and sometimes that passion can wax, and it can wane, and the tide has gone out, and it's just not a great time for fishing in our life. And this is something that we see with the disciples over and over again, though. Like Peter, at the end of the cross, when Jesus had died, and he didn't know that he was raised to life again, Peter went back to fishing, right? And we can often kind of lose our way in that sense. Um, Where he went back to fishing, and the story goes that they fished all night, it's morning, they caught nothing. And then they hear a voice cry out to them from the shore, Jesus, I think, being a little snarky, saying, hey guys, did you catch anything? Um, And he was recreating a moment from earlier, When he had called them, did you catch anything? They said, no. He said, we'll throw your net on the other side. And they had a miraculous catch that time. So Jesus says the exact same thing. We'll throw your net onto the other side. And Peter then knows it's Jesus. Jumps out of the boat, swims to shore, gets to Jesus, and Jesus is there already grilling up breakfast, grilling up fish, right? And it's there that Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, I love you. And three times, Jesus asks this question and then says, feed my sheep. Right? Different animal, same kind of analogy here. But what he's saying is that I, I gave you a purpose, I gave you a mission. You've deviated from it. I know you feel like your failure has resulted in you not being able to do this. Jesus is saying, I'm not firing you. He's just calling him to get back on track. Get back on the track of feeding my sheep, fishing for people the way that I installed you to do. And so whatever God has, has called you to, maybe you're in one of those seasons where it feels like you got a little sidetracked, um, where the passion just isn't quite there anymore. It's like this season of life, you know, talk to me later. Once a new difficulty has come up in my life, it'll be easier. But I would say don't push this, don't push this hand away of Jesus calling you again to say, do you love me? Feed my sheep. I think just as Jesus restored Peter, that in many of our senses, not in terms of salvation, but just in terms of serving him, the call is just to be restored to purpose here again. Getting back on mission, 
of what he's called us to do. And I think we're given kind of the same opportunity here to once again hear Jesus say, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And for some of us, this obviously will be a huge change. You might have that uneasy feeling in the pit of your stomach right now because you know there's something big it's calling you to walk away from. Um, For some of us, this might just be small little tweaks. Small little tweaks of what we do after work, after school, how we respond to this text message or that. Um, But whatever it might be, I think the mindset of the follower of Jesus here is to look to Jesus and to say, well, I trust you. I trust that I will follow you. And one step at a time, one day at a time, I'll trust that you will make me a fisher of men, that you will make me the follower that you have promised to make me. And so one day at a time, one step at a time, I'll follow you. And this will involve a lot of different difficult decisions and difficult changes. Um, But I don't know a better way other than kind of every day I just remind myself, one day at a time, I'm following you. One person at a time, one conversation at a time to fish for people. To just trust in him. Just trust in him as he's called us. Because Jesus has called you to play a role in the spreading of his gospel. And he's placed you at work. He's placed you in school. He's placed you in your families. He wants to make you into a fisher of men. He wants there to be not a single chance that you could spend four years at mines, that you could spend years at your school, that you could raise the children that you're raising, and there wouldn't be any more followers of Jesus. No, he's saying there's no chance. I will make you a fisher of men. I'll make you a fisher of men. Like This is what he said he's going to do. And I think our response has got to be just to surrender to him and the work that he wants to do in us. And so as we end here today, um, as we continue on in worship, uh, we're essentially going to model what that looks like as a church, as we participate in the Lord's Supper here. Or we'll model with our bodies, responding to that call of Christ. Listening to Christ saying, here is what I'm doing. Would you follow me? And so we're going to go ahead and pray. And then I'm going to invite you forward as we partake in this. But would you just bow your heads and would you pray with me? Um, So Father God, uh, we just hear your call. And we just consider the many different reasons that we have for not having our lives fully centered around your purpose and your mission. And God, we just look at these simple words of you choosing us, choosing us in salvation, choosing us to serve you, and we thank you. We thank you that you knew before the foundations of the earth were set that you were coming to be a sacrifice for us. And we just see how much you've richly given us. And we want to be the people who respond to your call to follow with trust, with hope, with faith. And so I just pray for each and every person in this room now, God, that you would just give us a fresh trust in you. God, would your spirit inside of us help us to see what it is that you're calling us to and then give us the strength to do this. So we thank you for for the many humble attitudes in here who know we don't have what it takes to serve you in that way. But God, then we just want to turn our attention to you and to see what it is that you have to offer. And so, Jesus, we love you, and we just thank you for that. And we just turn to you in response of praise. And so, Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So it's at this time, um, I'm going to invite you, if you have...
proclaimed faith in Christ, then you are welcome to come. And would you grab the elements and return to your seat? And we're going to continue on in worship. And so would you um, hold on to the communion just now and we will take it all together. that he instructed his disciples to go and to prepare the Passover meal. Go and to prepare the Passover meal. And there, Jesus took the bread. And while they were eating, he gave thanks. And he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, broken for you. So would you take and eat this time. celebrating the Passover, a day in which they had painted the blood of the Lamb on the doorposts of their homes, and the angel of death would pass over. Just in the same way, Jesus says, this cup which represents that blood over the doorposts, this cup, this wine, well, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So he says that this blood now, it's not just painted on the doorposts, it's painted on the doorposts of your heart. That it covers over any mistakes, any sins we've ever made. That the death would pass over. That we would be his people, one day waiting to be raised to new life. And so would you drink this in remembrance of him? So Father God, we just pause in this moment and we thank you. We thank you for Christ. For his body broken for us, 
taking any and all punishment that we rightly deserve. And we thank you for Christ's blood poured out for us. That any imperfections, any sin, any getting off track on the mission that we have has been covered over by you. And we just thank you for your grace, for your forgiveness, for giving us and choosing us, even though we're unworthy. And so now, God, we just want to respond in praise, just praising you for your goodness. So, Jesus, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Now, I'll just invite you, would you please stand as we continue in worship? to Jesus I surrender of Numbers chapter 6, the original benediction as a blessing. But now, as I just lost my spot. Now, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And may you be covered in the dust of the rabbi that he would make you fishers of men. So grace and peace, Common Ground Church. Thank you for being here. Have a wonderful week.